Welcome to the Healthcare Weekly Podcast, where you can learn about the innovative ideas and technologies reshaping the healthcare industry. Join over 150,000 monthly readers and listeners all over the world. Each week, we sit down with some of the most brilliant minds in healthcare to learn what the future holds. The Healthcare Weekly Podcast, healthcare innovation starts here. Welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Weekly Podcast. I'm Sajanarski, CEO of Digital Authority Partners and Healthcare Weekly. Today's guest is Lubna Buarfa. She is the CEO at a life science company called Okra. Okra is a UK Cambridge-based AI productization company bridging the gap in communication between life science companies and doctors and medical organizations. Lubna, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me here. So, Lubna, we don't actually talk to a lot of companies on this podcast that um, have created solutions designed specifically for the life science part of healthcare. That's not what most entrepreneurs focus on. It's not, let's say, sexy or something that people really want to look into, which is why I'm really, really interested in learning more about Accra its mission, how it works, and the value you, you bring to a uh, life science company. Can you talk to us a little bit about how Okra was founded? Why did you found this company? What is the company's mission? And how you're helping life science companies today? Thank you. So Okra's mission is, is bringing the right drugs to the right patients and at scale. And the last word is important here. That's why our user group is the life science sector. My background is in machine learning, started working and applying machine learning to uh, the operation room, working with doctors across Europe and the US and using AI to predict anomalies. I realized that Working with hospitals and directly with patients is very rewarding personally, but if you look to the scale of hospitals, it's not that big. The largest hospitals in Europe are around the 3,000 patients. Working with life sciences as an entrepreneur is rewarding from a scale perspective. You look to one pill, how many patients, how many millions of patients are getting that pill, especially for chronic diseases, is very, very high. So if we can build an AI brain that can drive on the back end this pill to the right patients on the different countries worldwide, we were going to achieve much, much higher and scalable way to precision medicine, even if it's on the back end, not directly to patients. So that's why I founded Okra back in 2016 with working with life science companies, building exactly that brain that will empower life science executives to communicate better about the benefits and also the shortcomings of their treatments to what patients exactly their treatments need to be prescribed on different layers, on the commercial organization layer, on the medical organization layer, and on the market access layer. And this empowers both field teams and strategy teams to articulate better how the treatments work for what patients. So in this way, whether you're living in an urban area or rural area as patients, you will have the same and the equal chance to get the right treatment for you and hopefully the most beneficial treatment that is available regardless of where you live because we will have this technology that can spot and predict what practices there is the high prevalence of patients that need that treatment. And that's why we focus on building B2B AI systems that provide suggestions to teams, both field teams and strategy teams, and reasons why they need to go there, and predictions. So we can predict and forecast the different outcomes from sales, as well health outcomes to access outcomes and pricing ahead of time. 
So these three major outputs we provide. And in this time of COVID, we see that reducing uncertainty as much as we can is helping people and is at the speed to predict that will save lives. Let's go to an ex- a specific example. A drug has been approved to be used in the UK. And yes. now the pharma company is going to send usually uh, sales reps who go and engage with doctors in private practices and trying to convince them that their drug should be used for a specific condition. And yes. ideally, the doctors say, okay, this is great. I'm going to stop prescribing it. Explain to me yes. where Aqua comes in. You mentioned before that Aqua provides suggestions. Like, Give me some examples of what are like three types of actionable suggestions that you can provide to life science companies or to the sales reps that are in the field. Yeah, so this is a great example. So you have a new treatment, a new treatment that doctors have got their good knowledge of the standard care treatments. They've got their knowledge. Okay, the NICE organization proved this drug. It's new. How can you change behavior? How can you make doctors aware about this new drug? And most importantly, to what patients they need to be prescribing this drug. So what we do is we overlay all the data from demographics to prevalence uh, to access uh, the different regions whether in urban or rural areas and highlight the opportunities where there's the high opportunities of where those patients are mostly have the highest prevalence and where this drug will prove the most effective. So when we highlight those, it's a five-star system where reps can check the priority and the urgency and say, okay, give me the AI system, give me where is those doctors. And those are pulled up and it provides three things. Predictions, how many patients are there and also translated to DOT measures, days of treatment that could be achieved there and as well as market share that potentially you could have. And then you provide you with suggestions in terms of first suggestion, of course, this is a doctor you should visit. It's the suggestions that it provides talk about the prevalence of female patients on this area. So all the things that we flagged about the patient population there will pop up as suggestions to communicate with this doctor. So to educate him about the benefits of those trucks. And quality of life scores that achieved in um, earlier studies can be shared with this doctor so that they can speak his language. And then last but not least, reasons. Because of course, those reps are working for years. They use their gut feel. They have the instinct. How can you make them trust an AI system to listen to listen to AI system? You give them the reason. You tell them, well, we see patients there with this specific characteristics. We see your competition gaining market share there, which we think you can win there. We see a switch opportunity of X percent for your drug. So go there. So it highlights these three things and we proved like amazing kind of behavioral shift for reps. We saw that in, in Europe for a use case that I can share, we shifted behavior by 70% from, you know, low opportunity to high opportunity accounts and also huge shift actually from uh, high access where easily you can get in front to low access. So doctors that are a little bit, you know, difficult to get in front, but where the opportunity is. So in this way, a patient, whether they're living in central London or somewhere in Wales, they will have the same opportunity to get this new treatment soon after its launch in the UK. Okay, so let's just pretend for a second because it's not true yet, but let's say, you know, in the next six to nine months, there's going to be a COVID-19 vaccine, right? Yes. And it passed, and now it has to roll out to London. So if I understand correctly, what would happen is all of the drug reps for the company that has created a COVID-19 vaccine will almost get like a sales 
cheat sheet where on the cheat sheet you will have information like, okay, you should go to Dr. A, B, and C. They are closest to the most affected populations in London that have COVID. Here's the demographics of those populations in that neighborhood in London. Here are your talking points and here's why that particular doctor should prescribe your vaccine. Is that how it works? Of course, we hope that the vaccine could be provided to everyone uh, and there will be no selection. But indeed, if we have a new drug and like a vaccine and we want to prioritize the patient in need first. So what you want to do is learn from all the historical data around COVID stats, the prevalence and the demographics, the age of the population and so on to prioritize areas that would need the vaccine first. And in the priority scores, we'll be highlighting those regions first if we have to choose, which is, of course, let's hope this for everyone. So so yes, mentioning COVID, already in this COVID, we already provide and integrate the COVID data because reps cannot visit doctors now, all of them. So we predict where is the, the cases will increase. We predict how many untreated patients for specific conditions due to COVID because they don't show up or because they are scared. And we give that information to reps so they know when they go to meet doctors at hospitals, say, look, guys. You know, the COVID cases are decreased, but we see a huge pile of patients with this specific condition are on the waiting lists and they are not showing up because of COVID. You need to do something. So that information to articulate it with numbers and evidence that is new to the industry, but it is solving a lot of things that are lost in translation. Yeah, I mean, and the reality at the end of the day is that whenever a vaccine is available, because of manufacturing processes, not everybody's going to get it, right? So yeah. now... I'm not working in public policy, but if I were, what I would do is if I have a vaccine, I would say, who are the most high-risk populations that this vaccine That's should go to thing. immediately because they're more likely to get very sick or die due to comorbidities, due to age, due to other pre-existing conditions, right? So what Absolutely, you're yeah. Your solution yeah. will be able to create leveraging artificial intelligence a kind of prioritized rollout plan should a vaccine for COVID-19 be ready to go to market. Yes, absolutely. So the same algorithms can be used to leverage that and identify, you know, and it's beyond hospitals here. It's also care homes and the stakeholders are broader than just the hospitals and the surgeries. It's also care homes, uh, schools. So it's a little bit broader than that. And indeed, we can use artificial intelligence to identify, you know, what areas, what organizations and for what populations we need to prioritize first in the different geographies. So, yes, definitely. So, Luna, you're a machine learning specialist, like you went to school for this, you went to university, PhD. Artificial intelligence is one of these things where, like, today you still have companies who are like, hey, should I do it, should I not? In the future, it's going to be what I call table stakes technology. Nobody's going to talk about AI as being new, but today there still is a lot of fear when it comes to AI adoption among healthcare professionals and executives. By talking to a lot of executives, what I normally hear is, you know, what if the AI doesn't work? B, what I've seen is AI as a black box. I see the insights, but I do not see how you actually derive those insights and what makes it uh, that you say you should do this, this, or that. So as a machine learning expert, can you talk about how Okra or any artificial intelligence solution is actually built, like how are insights being provided, how do you QA those insights to make sure that those are correct? 
Absolutely. Look, the fear for the uncertainty is, a, is in our human nature. But at the same time, we are the creatures that embrace uncertainty the most. You know, we wake up every day and we think it's going to be a great day for most of us. And we have no idea if it's going to be a good day, but we wake up and we embrace it. And this is no different. If you look to the IT, the digital revolution, it's been around rule-based IT systems. So how can we bring automation to speed up the world? And now we we are in inflection points almost that, uh, you know, that resistance for adopting AI with the COVID, we see it as a company dropping down because now people realize my normal IT rule-based systems are not enough. I need to predict what is at the end of the tunnel, what is the new normal of COVID. And I think that's the, I see, and I'm quite optimistic that the adoption of AI is happening with COVID. It's exponential. And to your point, how can we create the trust? Uh, for two years, I was working with the European Commission on drafting the ethical guidelines on AI. So how can we make AI trustworthy for citizens, for policymakers, and for businesses? So we defined seven key criteria, and few of them I will mention what we do at OCRA. So as I told you, we provide insights in three layers, prediction using machine learning, suggestions and reasons. So predictions are using these algorithms that are very complex to understand. We don't expect people to understand those algorithms. We almost expect them to do a PhD in machine learning to understand that. So that's not explainability. Explainability is about how can we open a box in a such way that people understand why the AI algorithm flagged specific insight as imported or predicted specific outcome. So explainability is not easy. So my team and I've been working a lot on how we get this explainability. And it's quite an art in combining both causality and correlation, which is very, very hard. So algorithms look for correlation in the data, and that's how we can predict with high accuracy, even if we don't have everything, right? But correlation is not the explanation to what really happened. Just to give you an example, if you put an AI system to predict in a classroom who's going to get an A, who's going to get a C, they're going to predict with 90% accuracy who's going to get an A, who's going to get a B and C. But when you ask why, they will, the AI system will tell you because the A finishes within 20 minutes and because the C he finishes within 50 minutes. So the explainability is not related to the reason because the AI system has no visibility on the IQ or how smart a student is. I think a lot of the confusion, not confusion, but like in general, like why many executives do not want to try AI systems it's like, it's very difficult to figure out to what extent and limited memory artificial intelligence solutions that we're dealing with today truly learn from past experiences and data sets and events. And also the extent to which the AI solution itself has had access to enough data to confidently make a specific prediction. Absolutely, so yeah. For, yeah. You know, for other companies and executives who listen to this podcast who are always worried about the same issue, it's like, how do you reach critical mass, right? If you're an AI company creating an algorithm, how do you get from, like, I've built this in a lab, well, not in a lab, but on my computer, yeah. to I've built this and also tested, and now I know that the yeah. insights are actually accurate. 
Yeah, so yeah, so actually there are two components to your question. The first component is how do you validate? And the second component, how do you scale? So the first component, how do you validate? So first of all, I believe machine learning should be used for evidence-based prediction. So when you predict something because you have to learn from the past, and we are in life science and healthcare, we're an evidence-based industry. We need to learn from the past so we can move forward. And that is the way we validate. You train your AI system up to, for example, 2018, and you test it on 2018 forward. For COVID, for example, it is a short period. You train for a couple of months, you test on a new month, and you see how good you are. It's black and white. You can see exactly what is your false positives, what is your true positives, and you can move from them. You can measure if you're overfitting or underfitting. So there is quite an established way how to test it. But of course, how to achieve the scale, which is a really good question, that is where engineering comes to, to speak. So to just do an AI on your computer and you publish paper, that's not AI. That is a machine learning advanced method. But to scale a system and to make it work day and night under circumstances of missing data, under all the type of circumstances, that's what we call AI productization. That's what Okra does. So the biggest team at Okra is engineering team. And that is the making the machine that is running and testing and making sure the outputs are validated and they are applying to all the criteria and so on. So that part is where you build, it's not only you test the, the prototype, but you build the brains that continuously refreshes itself and validates itself and checks like the performance is okay, so deliver the results. And that is a big misconception in our industry in life sciences because they've got used to statistics and the advanced methodologies and they think AI is a one-off thing. And I say, well, AI should have some component that's autonomously running and updating itself. If it has not, we're not talking about machine here. We're talking about methodology. And to your point, yes, it needs to be both. We need to validate the results and we need to scale and meet the mass of, uh, so we use the IT side of, you know, of the digital revolution. The rules are very scalable, of course. You build a rule, you can scale it everywhere. But to scale a machine learning system, to handle all the problems of the data, that takes a, a lot of maintenance and, and continuously building of algorithms that solve this problem. So the other question I have is like, once you've built your solution at Okra, how did you access the data you needed to validate it? Like, are there, you know, licensed companies who, if you go to them, will give you the data dump that you can then feed your AI machine and make sure its predictions are accurate? Because I think it's that access to data at scale that, it's, you know, in this healthcare system, it's never very easy to access, to get access to it in order to validate yeah. your project. Israel, I love your question. You know, my I will quote my professor of machine learning, Bob Down. He's he's, uh, he's amazing. I told him, you know, he shared with me his assumptions he had as an early PhD student. And later on, he told me one of the big misconceptions uh, or the assumptions he had, that you need a lot of data to train a good AI system. That is one that's not true. Some small data, but good quality. It's about the value, the quality of data. But to your point, OCRAC, most of our data is open data. So think about all the clinical trials that are publicly available, or the publications, all the congresses, all the data about that's published by the different healthcare authorities. For example, in the UK, the NHS. In Germany, you have authorities such as GBA and so on. All the data, our team already built NLP algorithms extracting and refreshing on a monthly basis our data lake. And then we combine it our, with our client's data. So when the, our client wants to solve a commercial or medical or uh, other problem, 
we connect their data. It could be activity, for example. It could be uh, sales data, but it could also be insights they collected with our own data and we provide them with the suggestions they need. So uh, for us, the product is never finished. We keep updating. We have a release cycle of two weeks, so which means you get the data refreshed, you get new functionalities. If we add new data to our system, also the insights of our clients are all updated. So all our clients make use of our data lake. Of course, what they, the data they share with us, that is only for them. So if they have super intelligence internally, that will be delivered to them. But the data lake that we collected and we are maintaining is for all our clients. Excellent. So, Lumna, what are the biggest challenges as you see them right now when it comes down to adopting AI solutions in the life science industry at scale? I think, to be honest, I mean, if you asked me a few months ago, my answer would be very long. But with the COVID, it's been like, I see a lot of change and I'm super excited. I think I do realize the challenge for life sciences industry. I think the fear of adopting AI around, you know, the as you, as you mentioned, around the scalability, but also the budget, because they say, you know, I need to maintain, shall I spend it on innovation or shall I spend it on maintaining the status quo? I see big shifts from there already happening. Everyone is, is talking to us and say, you know, how can we productize? How can we use AI inside? So that the shift is already happening. And what we tell our clients, be problem-led, not solution-led. Think about what is your team need for the moment and we solve it with our product. So I think that maybe I would say that maybe the big barrier for scaling AI is that a life science companies try to become data science companies themselves and which is, I think it's slowing a lot the industry because the way pharma companies work, that's not their core capability. Life science companies are good in, you know, building or making treatments that and testing them in a way, even similar to algorithms in clinical trials where you test, you know, uh, placebo and control groups, you measure the effects, that's the, the core industry to move and try to do AI by themselves. That is slowing down the productization and we miss the scale opportunity we can achieve by working with tech companies specialized in AI productization. Interesting. So I think what you're saying is the challenge is that life science companies would be stuck in the paradigm of build versus buy. And they would try to kind of build it house. It doesn't work. And then they've lost momentum, time and resources instead of looking in the industry and seeing who is providing a solution that can just integrate directly with their backend systems and start providing insights right away. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as we're getting close to the end of the podcast, I like to ask all my guests, like, okay, with everything you know today in light of COVID or in general, where do you think the industry is going to be at in the next 10 years? You know, in particular regards to life science industry, what are the progress that you think will be made and how we look at technology, how we interact with technology and how we leverage it in a sustainable way? to meet both business objectives, but also improve quality of care and the health services that are provided to patients around the world. Okay, there are two scenarios in my head, like one future that we are now with COVID, we are not only talking about AI, we're doing it at the industry, so that in five years from now, we will be already using AI at scale to support our team and for humans and executives uh, in life sciences and also in, in hospitals and other stakeholders using AI on a daily basis. And then in 10 years from now, we're not even talking about AI because it's already there and it's already used. But then in 10 years from now, we are almost using AI at this stage to spring jump, you know, 
to make ourselves stronger. And then in 10 years from now, we then start using AI to really deliver the individualized therapies for patients. And that is where I see the evolution. First, let's use it ourselves as stakeholders. Then the patients will benefit the patients more as an individualized medicine. So I see that the shift happening there. And I see the ecosystem will become stronger with AI. Things will not get lost in translation or at least communication will be clear. The speed of launching drugs, of prescribing drugs, of getting them to the patients will be high and we will become effective as an ecosystem and efficient. The other scenario, which actually if we don't, and if we keep you know, doing what we're doing, the whole industry will be reshaped upside down. I see in the next, uh, we will not have the, the ecosystem as we know it, a B2C platform, uh, it could be any big tech company, that will replace with the big data in healthcare, they push it in or so on. They could replace the whole ecosystem. They could use AI to predict what is the best treatment for you as a person, that you don't even need to go to the doctor, that you can just Log in into your app, go to the next lab they have in town next to you, get your blood samples that will be sent somewhere else, you don't know where, and your data as a patient will be distributed and you don't know, you don't want to know where it is, and you will get a very cheap and affordable treatment where you pay a lot with your data. And the question is, is that ethical? Is this where we want to be? Or we want to make our ecosystem stronger and the way it is and make it efficient uh, the way it is and make the patient the center of it or we want to make the patient the object of it. So that is the two choices or the two things I see the, the healthcare is going. Lubna, thank you so much for uh, joining the Healthcare Weekly podcast. For our listeners, I encourage you to go online and check out Okra.ai and to learn more about the company and about our guests. Thank you very much, and I wish you the best, and I hope to hear great things about your company in the months and years to come. Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure, and have a great evening. (laughs) Bye. Thanks for listening to the Healthcare Weekly Podcast. Don't forget to visit us at healthcareweekly.com. Subscribe to our channel on your favorite podcast app to get a notification every time a new episode is released. Do you know of an inspirational health leader who should be on our podcast? Email us at hello at healthcareweekly.com with details. Healthcare Weekly Podcast. Healthcare innovation starts here.